Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Say Who, Say Pod, and the first episode of the new year, 2022. Uh, how, how was your new year, Danny? Every, everything... my, new year, my new year was fairly uneventful. We did make it to midnight. We went over to Columbus Circle, which is near where we live. Um, I, I think, well, there was definitely confetti coming down. I think it was the confetti from Times Square. Not yeah. sure. We're fairly, we're fairly, we're good, we're good 18, 20 blocks north so maybe maybe it flew there. By saying it's the first episode of the new year, though, you're highlighting how lazy we are. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I was thinking, do you still do this thing weekly? You know, are we real? Are we going to do 52 episodes a year? Probably not. But then, well, you how know, much are they paying you to put this up? Let me um, hold on. I can make calculator out here. Um, zero dollars and zero cents. Oh, you know what? You should do how much you want to do then. Like that's what that <laughs> means. That but, means you should do as long as there's no if, if there's if there's no one if there's no one paying you, you get to work at will then. But it is a nice segue into the the changing landscape of college football, right? Because there's it's like you know the NFL has become such a year round sport. Like there's no off season, right? There's no everyone knows if you cover the NFL, you don't really get a break. Like there's free agency and there's always rumors and stuff kind yeah. of creates its own news cycle and college yeah, football might, is kind of becoming that way too. It's true. You might, if you were, if you were of a specifically cynical mind, you might think that, uh, that that's being, that's being propagated by the very media, uh, entities, which would benefit from having uh 12 months a year, <laughs> seven days a week, 24. Yeah. It's, it's, it's possible. It's possible with that. And speaking of the, the year round news cycle, um, I think it's ridiculous that anyone still refers to the Monday after the NFL season ends as Black Monday, given the hiring trends with within the NFL. Like I saw that headline, I was like, "Do you guys really like not understand what's going on with the hiring trends and the 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 dearth of of black coaches and how many black coaches tend to get fired?" And we're still going to just refer to it as Black Monday. It's 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 ridiculous. I would like to. I, I will now dismount my soapbox. But that was my one major objection for this week. I did have. I had a similar thought. Um, it's ridiculous. I feel like, like we could probably come up with a different term. And well, especially I think Ray Ratto had a column for Defector about how it's not really even limited to a day anymore. Like you find out on you know Sunday afternoon, news leaks out. It's you know. So, uh, you know, more to your point, yes, there's there's a verbiage issue there for sure. But the whole thing, and I guess college football has has one up on that in that you get a full month. I do like college footballs, though, because, like, at least the NFL has come up to with a system in which it, like, mitigates the amount of ridiculousness that coaches get to say. Like, really, like, coaches up until the day after the game, they can be like, I fully intend to be here next year. We're moving ahead. Like you don't have it. Whereas in college football, you get a solid two months of guys swearing they're going to be on a job that they will from. Like you get the, the, the opportunities for hypocrisy are rampant. And I absolutely dig it. Like the amount of shame that can, that, that, that a college coach can generate in that amount of time is, and it makes for hilarious, like what was it, Lincoln Riley, when he said that before he was introduced as the USC coach, or the day before he news leaked that he was being hired at USC, I'm not going to LSU. Yeah, let me <laughs> let me put a stop to those rumors right now. I don't. I, I want you to know right now, I'm not going to LSU. <laughs> it's like, well played, Lincoln. Way to go. It totally. Yeah, I know we already talked about that, but it totally worked. It totally it was a bit like that squashed it. It was like. Boom, Lincoln Riley's okay. staying at Oklahoma like, for a day. There's nothing to follow up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a day. Do you see what happened with Todd Graham this week? Yeah. It's not <laughs> It's not good when there's a Senate hearing about your Dude, football program. over Zoom, there was a Zoom meeting, and there's reporters that are like live tweeting this, and where it's like, Todd Graham is alleged to have said that Hawaii is a third world country because there's no Dr. Pepper in the vending machine. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. It was, yeah. It, it, Graham, and Graham's still cashing a lot of checks from, from Arizona State, isn't he? Uh, by this point, I'm not sure. Boy, how how prescient were we having the Todd Graham is a jerk conversation like That's a month good. ago? Yeah, like that was, it was very clear that not he's that been a we jerk were for an awful time. breaking any news there, but... <laughs> Speaking of uh, of coaches jumping around at will whenever they want, um, it sure seemed like Washington felt good about retaining Junior Adams on, on Kalen DeBoer's first coaching staff. I was a little bit surprised to see him bring two assistants back, um, both Junior Adams and Scott Huff. 
especially two offensive assistants from a team that did what yeah, they I did wasn't on pumped offense. About Huff, I wasn't pumped about Huff at all. Um, that was that was puzzling to me. But I thought the Junior Adams move was a was wise in the short term because it it pretty much guaranteed that okay Jeremy Bernard was going to sign with you and you were going to get to you know at least a year out of him. Um, you know, assuming that that Junior Adams would stay for at least one season, but uh, it wasn't long before rumors started circulating. He was talking to Oregon and. Then boom, there he was. Uh, the new Twitter background, new Twitter profile picture, and all that stuff. And then, and then Oregon announces he's going to be receivers coach and and co offensive coordinator. Um, coaches, you know, they're 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 mercenaries, right? Like Bob Gregory kind of made that point toward the end of last season. You, you go where the paycheck is, and it's it's a job ultimately at the end of the day. And you're trying to do what's best for you and your family, and all those sort of things. Um, surprised to see that move made so soon after agreeing to be part of Kalen DeBoer's staff and just a little bit surprised that um, he felt, he felt inclined to make that jump for a a job. That's not a, not a play caller position. He does have a little bit of an enhanced title, but I'm curious what you made of that. Well, junior Adams is one of the coaches that I, I, I met him. Um, I know some people who know him. Um, I have a really high opinion of of him as a recruiter, and I thought he was he was one of the guys on Jimmy Lake's staff that really did, and especially on the offensive side, that did have a good feel for people. I I I, I thought even going back to when he was part of Chris Peterson's staff, that I thought that he he brought he he really relates well to people. So I I liked him. I was happy to hear that he was staying. I was somewhat surprised in this regard. Any improvement on Washington's offense is going to be chalked up to Kalen DeBoer. And usually when you have a coaching change like that, the guys that stay are guys that have a path toward either they want a job and need to hold on to it, or they've got a path toward sort of, okay, I'm going to have an opportunity to shine under this staff in a way that I didn't previously, right? Like that there's that there's going to be something for me here that, that they're that, – that would lead me to stay here. And in, in, in junior items case, he's going from working on the staff of a guy known for the defensive side of the ball in Jimmy Lake to someone who's going to be installing his own offense and say whatever you want. The biggest selling point of Kalen DeBoer is that guy has produced results and offensive improvement at every stop he's been at. Like that's, that's why he's got this job. Like that's, that's the root. It's not recruiting pedigree. It's not what he built over a period of time at Fresno state. It is that you look at his track record over the past 10 years and the guy knows what he's doing with offense and is able to get improvements. So from that perspective, I'm not surprised that junior Adams left that he would say, if my career is going to take the next step, I want to go somewhere where at least there's a path toward me calling plays. There's no path toward him calling plays or being involved in that side of it on Kalen DeBoer's staff. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. The two things, when you go to Oregon, when you go to Oregon, even someone like me who has a very positive impression of Junior Adams and like I really like the guy, and it's not like I'm like, you betrayed Washington. Like Washington signed his signed his checks for the past couple of years, but it's not like he is some grew up saying that the only thing I ever want to do is coach Husky football. And when he got like he he took he took what he sees as a better job, but it's Oregon. Like, I'm going to feel a certain kind of way about that, right? And there's, there's a little bit of it with Sam, Sam Taimani, with Taki Taimani. A little less because he's an amateur player and there's that. So, so there's a little bit of like, okay, I, I, wish ju- I don't wish Junior Adams poorly. Like, I don't, I don't like, hope that uh, his fortunes and coaching career goes down in, 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 a, in a heap of flaming ruins. But I'm not that... I wish him well either. Like I was just like, okay, you can go do whatever you're going to do. Like have fun. I, 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 I'm, I'm officially indifferent to junior Adams, whereas I really liked him before. Um, I don't get the timing. That That's the part of it. That's confusing to me. And if it became, cause it's, he agreed, there was an agreement for him to stay. And then he bolted like, that's weird to me. And, and maybe that has to do with the, opportunity at Oregon opened up afterward and things were still sliding into place. But I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that part, Christian. Can I, can I be petty about that part? Like once you decide you're going to stay, once you, once you decide you're going to stay, don't you kind of have to stay? 
unless it's a clear like Ken Norton was going to go and work with the 49ers and then the Seahawks offered him the defensive coordinator job or the other other things uh Cliff Kingsbury was going to go be the USC offensive coordinator until the Arizona Cardinals offered him a head coaching job if you can change your mind for a, a clear different better job but you can't he just changed his mind to take a little bit more money and at, at, a, at a place that he thought had a better path toward him calling plays yeah I the the one thing that I could maybe think to justify it and it's you know just kind of spitballing is like you alluded to a little bit that it's an offensive head coach who has a, pr- a proven track record knows what he wants to do he's got his system you haven't worked in it before he's bringing with him an offensive coordinator he goes way way back with the only guy he's ever trusted to call plays with him as a head coach they're paying him over a million dollars he's the first mm-hmm. million dollar offensive coordinator in school history they've also hired a tight ends coach who was literally just an offensive coordinator and play caller at Indiana and Nick Sheridan, who Kalen DeBoer also has an existing relationship with. And from what I hear, thinks very highly of, um, I could see junior Adams as a holdover from the previous staff taking this job thinking, you know what, this is a pretty solid floor for me job wise. You know, I, I get to stay where I am. I don't have to move he was going to make the same salary, which was $500,000, but he got a new two year contract and you know, I'll just, I'll take this job and see where it goes, but maybe I'm not feeling like super great about it. And it could be that once the new staff was in place and he, he had some conversations and got to know people, you know, I could see someone like that feeling a little bit like I'm not necessarily part of the club offensively. You know, but he already said yes. I know. But he already said like that's the thing. Like th- those are all really valid. But things, there's something Christian. to be said for security, right? I mean, whether whether you're totally all in on the situation or not, I could see like you've got a chance to sign a two year deal that's going to guarantee you a million dollars over the next two years, and you don't have to move, and it you know you already got the key card and everything. You know, I I could I could see that being preferable to you know what I'm I'm going to see what else is out there. Yeah. See, the thing, I think once you say, like once it all gets laid out and you're like, okay, this is the option. You either take it or you leave it. It's kind of like he's like, well, I don't, I, I, I want to take it. But then something else came up better a couple weeks later. He's like, actually, I'd really want to go. And you're like, dude, didn't we already just have this conversation? Like, didn't we just talk about like, and so you get to shop around? Because if Washington, after signing him to that, after they reached that agreement, then decided two weeks later that like, yeah, actually, we're going to. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. We're we're gonna go back on it. Everybody would think Washington was was lame, right? That he had passed up on other job opportunities because he had decided to get offered something and stay at, at Washington. That he had agreed to stay there, and now Washington was pulling the rug out from under him. I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of like having your cake and eating it too. I'll get to stay unless something else better comes along. Yeah, and, and you know. It's interesting. I've been talking to some people. I'm just mad it's Oregon, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, and I, that, I'm, I'm mad it's Oregon. Like, I want to get to that, too, because I think I think the, the, the transfer portal and everything has, has kind of opened people's eyes to maybe, maybe differences in passion and emotion between players and coaches and the fan base. And I think people are realizing, I think probably should have already been aware of this, but that like the rivalry stuff has always mattered more to the fans than than the players. Like these guys, you know, um, maybe there's some hurt feelings in Washington's locker room because Taki Taimani is transferring to Oregon. But at the end of the day, like those guys have spent the last four years together lifting weights at six o'clock in the morning, working out in, in the winter hours upon hours in, in, meeting rooms and and you know sweating and bleeding and fighting through injuries at practice and been through you know really tough losses and great wins and all this stuff those bonds matter infinitely more than oh that guy's transferring to the school we're supposed to hate so now we're not friends anymore yeah and that that part I don't want to use the NFL terminology which when guys will do this they'll say it's a business because it's it's not like it, it should be in my opinion, but it's not. But if a player, it's becoming more so. It is though. Yeah, it, it's it, it is holding anything against a player over where he chooses to play, whether it's an eighteen year old kid and where he goes to school, or whether it's a player who decides he's going to transfer somewhere else. 
is lame. Like it's lame behavior by fans. And and I say that even that there there is part of me that is a I thought Taimani was an awesome player. Like I really liked watching him. I thought he was a really impactful. I thought the two defensive tackles on on that on the team this year outside of the 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 corners, those were the best players on on their defense. I really liked how they played. I'm bummed that he's not going to be there. And and there's part of me that's like, yeah, it stinks he's going to Oregon. But the bigger like I hope I hope Sam Taimani I hope Taki Taimani has a great year next year. I hope he has a strong NFL future. Like, if you wish poorly for a kid based on where he goes to school, like, that is that is dork behavior. Like, that's completely idiot fan behavior. And as I say that, then I go to the coach, and I'm like, but it's a little bit different with a coach. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> and it probably should be, but it's a little bit different. You put a, you put a dollar sign in front of it, and, and a guy's under it. You know, another factor, too. Like I was talking to my wife about this, and she's like, you know, like, because, like, man, there are some hurt feelings at UW over Junior Adams leaving for Oregon. I mean, there there is a lot of there there's a lot of animosity there just for how it how it went down. And I was kind of talking to my wife about it, and she's like, yeah, like, but aren't aren't they taking it a little personally? Like, it, it at the end of the day, you know, he he's an employee just like anybody else, and and all this. And I I mostly agree with that. I do think it's it's a there's a little bit a little bit um, of legitimacy to it when you are responsible for telling teenagers come play here. I'm going to be your coach. I'm going to be here. And, you know, I, I think you could argue more so than any other position coach. There are guys who would not have come to Washington. You just saw it with Jeremy Bernard. He's not coming to Washington because junior Adams isn't there. There were guys who would not have signed with UW if they did not believe junior Adams was going to be their position coach. And you saw Jalen McMillan kind of go through the evolution of, you know, clearly very upset that Junior Adams left, took all his, you know, Husky stuff off of his Twitter page and all this and ends up putting out a statement that he's going to stay. And you know, obviously that's that's good news. And, you know, he, he came around to to believe in something beyond the, the position coach. But there are a handful of guys who, um, you know, this particular coach said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here and and. Not only that, but then there's a, an entire coaching change and reason to believe that that he's not going to be there. And it's officially announced that, hey, great news. The guy who recruited you is going to be part of this staff. And then you get the rug pulled from under you. I think when there's there's kind of the the emotions and the futures of, of young people involved, it, it is a little bit different. And I think that's what grinds at people, too. Well, I don't blame a player for feeling that the system in in some ways is stacked against him and that he and this is this is less true now with the transfer portal it was definitely more true before that players are held to standards that the adults are not like that that was the single most ridiculous thing in the entire ridiculous system which is saying something because there's a lot of of hypocrisy and just rank exploitation that happens in college sports the fact that a college coach could recruit you and he could bolt, and it was harder for you to leave when you weren't getting paid a dime in terms of salary is is ridiculous. And and I I feel if there's any player that feels that like I I don't want to be here because the guy that convinced me to come here just bolted, I I, I there's not a there's not a a single part of my being that feels that 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 player owes it to the school to stay. Like he doesn't he he owes it to himself to have the best collegiate experience that he thinks he can. And and if that includes transferring away like all the power to him. And it is. Like you you did say it and I I try to I, I did find this. So is is Roma Dunze staying? From what I understand, yes. Because um, <laughs> he he had was it is it a cryptic emoji like he he posts was it a was it a sunglasses emoji? Yes, yeah. What did that mean? Because I'm old, like I'm 47 years old. I don't know how to parse emojis. I know the purple eggplant means something profane. I know I just know in, in bits and starts like some of the stuff, but I don't. I'm unfamiliar with the sunglasses emoji. Like, does that mean cool? Like, does that so... mean everything's set? It's looking good. I don't know. Is it mean I, I'm keeping it low key? I'm on the down low. I'm, I'm hiding my true feelings. I was I was baffled. It was a quote tweet of a fan who um, screen grabbed Jalen McMillan's note saying he was staying and, and Jalen Polk's note saying he was yes. staying and, and tweeted it uh, at tagged Romo Dunze and said your turn at Romo Dunze and Rome Dunze quote tweeted it with the sunglasses emoji, um, which if you're going to interpret 
it one way or the other. I, w- I would think it's a positive sign for Washington. Independent of that, I- I've been told the expectation is that, that he will stay. Um, so I, you know, Again, this stuff you could it could change after spring practice. Guys could decide, you know, well, I'm staying for now. I'm here. I'm enrolled. I might as well finish the quarter. They're going through winter conditioning right now, getting to know the new strength and conditioning staff for the first time. So, um, you know, I, I can tell I, you one thing: I was not, I would not do if I was 20 years old. Would just say, like, if I was planning on leaving, saying, "I'll just stay and finish the quarter." Be like, "I'm going to the beach." Yeah. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I believe you are uh, immediately eligible at the beach now. If that's what yeah, you exactly, to do. exactly. <laughs> Taking on like later for that <laughs> winter quarter. What? Yeah, I'd really like to sp- spend spend the entire January through uh, mid March in Seattle when I w- will see the sun for exactly five days. Well, you need to take. Listen, we all have a limited window to take advantage of of the academically prowess. <laughs> And you can't, you can't, you don't want to squander even three months of that. Uh, I don't think I'm prepared for that when it comes back around as people making fun of the academically prowess, because I kind of feel like, okay, I've got that all out of my system and I just don't want to be reminded that it happened, (laughs) (laughs) but it's going to be coming back. Uh, No, I mean, that's, it's good news that the, the, the wide receivers are staying, but it's, it is one of those weird things to celebrate, man, because I feel like it's like, yes, he's staying where it's really what I want to feel is I, I hope I hope he has the best experience. Like I really I, I I hope this is the best decision for him. I hope he feels great because that's hard. That's really disruptive in a in a college, especially an aspiring professional college player's career to have the guys that recruited them, the coaches that they've played for fired or leave for other jobs. It has led to this conversation because I mean I completely agree. I mean, the, the freedom of movement stuff is so, it's so long overdue. And I mean, you're right. It, it, these, when you wake up in the morning, you're the only one who has to live in your situation. So you, you, you should always do what's best for you. Um, it has created a degree of chaos that I don't think is sustainable. And I think you're starting to see the idea of some sort of, of contract structure where there needs to be formal compensation because they're, we're getting to the point where the only way that the appeal of college football remains, I think for a lot of people and, and, you know, the only way you can count on, you know, if a guy commits to your school and, and, and trying to convince fans to be excited that like, Hey, this, this is the group of guys you're going to be able to watch for at least the next three years. The schools are going to need to have some ability to sign these guys to multi-year deals with, with a, an amount of guaranteed compensation. And I think you'll probably see that first on the NIL front. Um, I've already seen, you know, kind of some message board murmurs of maybe some schools are already doing this, but like I could see, you know, a a booster or, you know, the owner of a car dealership or something wanting a multi-year guarantee. If you're going to pay, so, you know, pay a kid, I don't know, 50 grand, just making up a number 50 grand to do a series of commercials and billboards or whatever it is. Say, hey, I'm. I will guarantee you one hundred fifty thousand dollars over this three year period. But if you leave for another school, because this is the school that I went to, or this is the school that I support, and I'm giving you this money basically because I want the football program at my alma mater to be really good. If you leave before this three year period, you're going to owe it back. Something like that. Oh, really? Some sort of oh, just just spitballing off the top of my no, head. No, here, no, but like some sort of protection for yeah, the yeah, people no, I... who are investing this money because. You know, like okay, the, the gym owner in Miami, right? Who right. said I'm going to give five? What was it? Five hundred dollars a month? Dan Lambert. Like I, I believe, I believe his team. I, I think he's ATT. There's two MMA teams down there. I think he's American Top Team. I think it's the American Top Team. The other one is the Black Zillions. But I think it's American Top Team that's the one that's doing the gym deal for the the Miami players. So you give five hundred dollars a month to a bunch of scholarship guys. And yes. maybe maybe this guy's profit margins are so massive that it's it's whatever he doesn't care, but you you've given away six thousand dollars now to someone who maybe red shirts never takes a snap yep. and at the end of the year they realize yeah this isn't I'm transferring this isn't right yes. for me and now you've given away all this money to these guys who have yep. not posted any return on that investment now it might just be that like hey I I like the fact that I can give money to these guys and and you know help them get by day to day and if they don't play like whatever. But I could see some people in the NIL space who are maybe a little more 
selfishly intentioned and you know their intent is to just make the football team as good as possible Mm -hmm. wanting some sort of commitment in return for their cash let's play that out for a second though because my initial reaction to that christian and it is a i totally understand why the nil endorser like the guy who's paying the money would want that but my initial reaction is that's the worst idea i've ever heard like maybe not the worst ever, but that's a terrible idea because how it would play out is then you're saying that if a kid who's 18 years old gets to a place and say the coach that recruited him gets fired and the position coach that recruited him leaves for the arch rival, that player then faces a scenario where I've got to stay here for the next two years. Otherwise, this guy is going to make me pay back the $10,000 that he's given me. So I, I'm really... and. I guess that's better than being tied to the school and getting no salary, but that's not much. It's the same sort of the the institution has the leverage because the kid doesn't really have the the means to pay back that sort of money. So I I think that's I think it's interesting. I'm not I'm not sure I see it as a problem if every kid can transfer at the end of the year and go somewhere else. Like I, I'm not I know why schools won't like it, and I can see why the people signing players to endorsements and giving them that money based on their affiliation with the university and because they want to I, I can see why they don't like it but I really I I don't really care all that much about those two entities like I I think the person that I'm care I, I care about the most is the player having as much agency as possible and if if we're if the the economics of the situation are going to go toward this idea of multi-year agreements then then there's there's got to be some protections put in place for the players, whether that's allowing them to, to bargain collectively over that or it's an actual straight-up salary that, that, is, that, that is paid to them that they, they agree upon. I, I, think it's, I think there's a lot of ways where this is going. We don't know what the economics of this situation are going to play out as, and I think it's going to be very easy. The person that is most likely to get the screws put to them is the same person that was most likely to be to be railroaded in the past, which is the athlete. Yeah, I agree, and then you know I agree. It's a it can get real dicey if if you've got um, boosters dictating terms. Can you imagine that. No, I told you that you were going to get fifty thousand dollars if you played three years here, and you've only played one. So you've got to stay here, and you're like, well, are you going to do what? I'm going to sue your broke ass. But I think the flip side of that is. You know, you're not talking NFL money, but isn't isn't that the deal in the NFL? You sign a deal and and it's a four year contract. Have, but they have a union, right? I mean, they've got a yes. CBA that protects they and and players don't have any of that. And as a matter of fact, and I still think that the I mean, the NLRB wouldn't recognize it, right? When Northwestern's players can't if if you're going to talk about multi year financial agreements, there has to be someone negotiating on their side as opposed to just whatever agent they come across. And I think it would have to. I mean, in that instance, the the compensation would have to come from the school, right? I mean, I would you, think so. You wouldn't have, but like I, I just I, playing out, you know, kind of the the un, maybe unforeseen long term consequences on either side of of nil. Like, a, could couldn't you see a a uh, not so pure hearted booster, you know, try to come up with some sort of terms to to guarantee a kid's not going to leave after a year? I mean, I just of course. Yes, absolutely. I've got some look, I think it's I in general it's better than what was there before. I've got long-term reservations about name image and likeness to begin with. And and I'll start out with this. What leads us to believe that the free market is going to fairly reward players? Like what 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 leads us to believe that that is going to be equitable either in terms of race, in terms of gender? Like all of these other different things. Like we've basically come up with the the rationale is and I say, I think this is better than what was there before, is that, well, if we just eliminate the constraints uh, that prevent a player from being paid, the free market will start to compensate them for the value of their labor. Well, I'm not sure how that's going to work in actuality when you're talking about 18, 19, and 20-year-old kids, if it's going to be done based on their talent or if it's going to just become a popularity contest or whoever wants. I, 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 don't, I don't know how this is going to look five or six years down the road, and it's very possible it won't be equitable at all. One way or the other, um, 
you're not going to be able to win in college football if you can't figure out how to pay your players. I mean, that's that, that, that's been true for a long time, though, right? It's just more like overtly true now. <laughs> yeah, because now you can above the table, and it's you know can't be yeah. an, it can't be an inducement, except no one's going to enforce it. <laughs> the so whole you, thing is hilarious. You have and what you know, Washington Washington has an athletic department driven program to support and educate on NIL, and then they have a you know a a, a booster organized. Um, I don't know if you call it a company or a venture or whatever. It's kind of unclear what they actually do, but this Montlake Futures thing, um, and you know, every every major program is going to have some sort of collective or you know money laundering system that you can throw money into, and it comes out to to go to players on the other end, and and you'll make it fit the rules one way or the other. Uh, maybe that's a cynical a cynical view on it, but you know, every every kid on a recruiting call, text, visit whatever they're going to be they're going to be asking like how can you put money in my pocket how can you help put money in my pocket who you know who are the businesses that i can partner with here and are there you know what what sort of autograph signing opportunities and which is like the way that it should have been forever i mean it's just like i've said i've said this before but like the fact that jake browning or miles gaskin or shaq thompson couldn't um you know drive up to the what the the sports memorabilia shop in i think it was at mill creek Bothell, something like that, mm-hmm. that that has you know they they they'll have KJ Wright in or Bobby Wagner in and charge whatever they charge for ticket. I mean the fact that like Husky players haven't been able to do something like that is just it's ridiculous. Um, but I, it, it's I think it's tough for a school like Washington that would like to uh, would like to believe that it's it's in compliance with all of the rules you know such as they are. Um, and therefore don't want to have interaction between that piece of it and the athletic department, because it's, you know, it, it, you, you can't just flat out tell a kid, you know, as an, as a, as a coach or as a representative of the department that like, Hey, this is how we'll, we'll pay you. But I think deep down know that that's the only way they can be competitive. So I, I don't know. I mean, one, one way I am like, all, I am all for having the Billy Joe Hobart package when the kid comes on campus for the recruiting trip and to explain to him that the rocket scientist located over in Idaho uh, will outfit him with the same Camaro and stereo that Billy Joe was equipped with. <laughs> like I, 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 I have, I, we need to, we need to get over ourselves as a collective institution. Um, and the, the belief that there is some sort of uh, purity that exists at the university of Washington that doesn't at say perhaps somewhere like Oregon, uh, we need to dismantle that mindset and get about the business of winning football. Uh, and if that means probation down the down the road a couple of years, so be it. I'll be able to to we'll pay that bill when it comes due. But we we need to get things in gear. We have previously had a system of uh, I don't think it was called. Is it Montlake Futures? Is that the name of it? I think it was yes. called like uh, Operation Fruit Basket back in the, <laughs> the, early, the early 90s. But like, let's fire that up again. I do. It cracks me up. The people who are so bitter about like, oh, Oregon hiring Tosh Lupoi and. He's that just, was you know, funny. We all we all know what, and I yeah we do. We need that guy. And I, yeah, I'm like, so you you hated watching Shaq Thompson at Washington then. <laughs> yeah. That you like that was that was a that was a tough time for you those three years Shaq Thompson was at Washington. You must have you must have, you I bet you hated Tosh Lupoi then when he brought Shaq with him to UW a day before you know was 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 working for Cal like three days before signing day or whatever it was and. And uh, flipped him, you know. Yeah. I, I bet, I yeah, I bet Husky fans hated that. So those entire holier than thou and the people that vow like, oh, so and so's cheating, and that's how they're doing this is, it's it's the funniest sort of because it's just like mock virtuous, like oh, it's oh, like this completely. Right, like there's this this element of it of like, I don't particularly care for Tosh Lapoy, and most of that has to do with the the interviews that I've heard of him. He he sounds entirely full of crap about football, but the guy's an incredible recruiter, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having him. And he did provide a great deal of talent. He's a huge asset to a football program. And just because like you find it unseemly, yeah, like in, enjoy enjoy riding down the moral high ground as you go to five and six and bowl in, ineligible. Like I'd prefer to go play in a good bowl game. Thanks. There definitely has been a vibe out of Washington. Um, basically since Chris Peterson has been there, by the way, like it, it, 
Washington had Tosh Lupoy on staff in 2013 and Chris Peterson as head coach in 2014, which is just kind of funny to me. Um, yes. Uh, there's, there's definitely this feeling out of Washington that they, they are, that they are above it, you know, that, that they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna associate with these, you know, they don't want to be lumped in with these programs. They're willing to throw money at players and, and play, play the game a certain way. And like, Maybe there is some virtue in that, but when you complain that your rivals recruit that way, I think two things. Are you going to shut down the program? Mm -hmm. Are you going to leave the conference? Right. The answer is no, so figure it out. Yeah, I I would go – I have a lot of respect for the way Chris Peterson did things because – he did it differently and he did he like you look at the difference between how Oregon recruited and how Chris Peterson recruited like it was Oregon cast this really really wide net and they would offer like what look 300 upwards of 300 I think there was one year I saw they get they had offered more than 400 kids Washington was different what a third of that if that and Chris Peterson did profile and spotlight guys that he thought would succeed in their program and he was able to build a winning program because of that. And I think that that is, it's it's a compliment to his vision for what you could build. The part of it that I didn't like was the attitude that this is the better way to do it. This is the virtuous way to do it. This is, no, it's it's one way to do it. And there's a certain amount of snobbiness of OKG, of our kind of guy. And that this is exactly what we're doing. And those guys are not our kind of guys. Where I'm like, for the most part, all those kids are 17 and 18-year-old kids too. And they've got dreams of what their future is going to be. And they're remarkably talented. And, and just because you don't think that they're going to be a cog or the right kind of person for your program, you shouldn't look down your nose at that, that, that he is either a lesser player or a lesser person. It's just something that's different. So I really respect what Chris Peterson built and the way he did it, because I do think it was unique. And I think that he had a vision for it. The problem was that there's, there was a part of it just reeked to me of that. It's a cultural elitism that becomes and makes fans really insufferable. You see this at different times when people would think that the Seahawks went under Pete Carroll, that they just had different kind of players. They had a, they had a collection of really fun and talented players to watch they weren't better guys than the San Francisco 49ers employed. Like there wasn't any sort of, and that idea that we're different or we're like, no, not really. It's just, you've got a different way of building it. And it's, 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 they're separate, but kind of the same. Like, I don't, I don't want to get into the the whole idea. And, And you're right about that, of this sort of weird right to do it. And then when Chris Peterson would complain about people, was it Asa Taylor? Asa Turner, I'm sorry, that they that he complained about like the amount of negative recruiting that was happening toward the end. That's where I'm like, okay, either say who's doing it or shut up. Like yeah. don't do, don't complain about what other people quotes and and make this these vague references and it would drive Peterson nuts. And I know that it drove him nuts. And it, there were things that other teams and and my my complete belief on that is okay, it drove you nuts. You can complain about it, but but be specific. Otherwise, shut up. Like, don't do this. Otherwise, it comes across as you're this, like, we're doing it the right way, and we're victims because they're doing it the wrong way. And you're like, that's obnoxious. Like, that's obnoxious. Nobody likes that guy. I don't like that guy, and I root for this team. He actually got really irritated that people assumed he was talking about Asa Turner, which is fun. I mean, like, literally, it's signing day. Oh, was it not about him? He's the only guy who hasn't signed. He's right. he's wavering. He's he's totally you know up in the air. Notre Dame's making this last push. Am I going to play linebacker at Notre Dame? Am I going to play come to Washington and play safety? And Chris Peterson at his press conference talks about. I forget if that was when he talked about vultures. I think it was yes, vultures. It was. That's yeah. exactly when it was. So you know, the natural assumption is he's talking about Asa Turner. He actually clarified later. He was talking about a number of guys who who signed with Washington and who never wavered, but who certain schools, the he would he would always refer to like the usual was he the usual suspects or the same the same couple crews as always or something like that. Um, certain schools were really just hard after guys. I think there was a r- rumor that like one kid had to change his cell phone number or yes. something because certain code wouldn't stop. To, whatever, but he got like he 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 was actually his thing was. I didn't have any problem with Notre Dame. Right. Because I've heard that. Because yeah, heard it, Asa yeah, Turner ahead. himself, you know, he's like, that was, 
he was receptive to it. So, you know, if the kid himself is is not sure and is initiating or or, you know, welcoming contact, supposedly he said, you know, but like I, I, I remember it was like media day the next year, I think, where he was like, you all thought that I was talking about Asa and I wasn't. I was like, you can see how everyone thought that, though. Right. Like it's the one guy who hasn't signed Notre Dame's coming in last. It's all this drama. And you're at your press conference talking about vultures. So, um, yeah, I just I mean, but to your point. Yeah, I mean you you are in the arena you know and 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 this is this is kind of how the game's played and you know good for you if if that's not something that you're into and and you know you instruct your staff to to be above that kind of thing but one that's debatable to begin with and yes and two <laughs> we're talking about matters of degree yeah. like there's not a difference in kind it's matters of degree yeah uh so i no that is that is funny there was um New Heisel had done it one year, and so it was. They had a. Uh, it was an offensive lineman. I think his name was Clayton Walker. I think he came. He came to UW from Arizona. I don't think he ended up being that much of a player, but he was a fairly high profile recruit out of out of, out of Arizona. And and New Heisel went nuts, whining about how UCLA had kept talking to him. And I think at one point he said that like we'd have to hose him down after the UCLA had gotten done with him about how I was going to leave and 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 trying to talk him down. And Bud, I will never forget this. Bud Withers, who as is. I think he's one of the best beat reporters that that I've I've ever seen working. Bud's the man. Oh, I love Bud. Uh, Bud called Bob Toledo, <laughs> and Toledo Toledo gives him the on the record quote, which was he goes, "I will tell you what I said verbatim is because he said to me that Newheisel <laughs> said that you're going to get fired." talking about Toledo when we were recruiting him. And I said to him, this is God's honest truth. What I said to him was, well, if I get fired, who do you think is going to be first in line for my job? (laughs) (laughs) And I listened to it and I was like, Toledo's 100% on the side of the angels here. That's exactly how that played out. And there's new eyes up there at this press conference. That's amazing. Complaining. I think that was, that was about the time I knew I think he got reprimanded. I think there was like a formal reprimand that was made from that. And God, there were so many different things around new But it's that sort of thing of like, I can't believe they're doing this. I'm like, no, you're all doing the same stuff. You're all doing it. Did you follow uh, Brock Bowers recruitment by chance? No, he's the kid from Napa that's at that's at Georgia now, though, right? Like the the badass tight end. Yeah, um, I did not. It's it's unfortunate to see a kid, you know, led down the wrong path because he, yeah, I mean, he just caught a touchdown pass and and won a national championship as a freshman. Um, but he could have spent the last two years playing for John Donovan, <laughs> and he was. Th- and he picked Georgia instead, and yeah, I think you just got to wonder if that was the right choice. <laughs> Were there people that thought it was a dumb decision that he went to Georgia? No, but it was. It did come to. It came. It was. It was literally Georgia and Washington for that him. That doesn't make me at feel the end. better. That does not make me feel better, Christian. Like, well, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> Washington was in his final two with John Donovan there. Like, imagine if they'd had an actual offensive coach. Like, imagine if there was somebody with actually vision and understanding and excitement. Like, Blake Bowers was interested in coming to Washington, and he continued to be interested in spite of the presence of a guy who, when they hired him, I said, huh? If they'd had a real offensive coordinator there, like, really might have been something. He, How good is he? He God, he is a monster. so good. Like he, I watch him, and in, in considering, was Kyle Pitts the fourth pick? Yeah, yeah. I man, Brock Bowers looks like he could be the number one pick in the draft. There were a few wide receivers in that, or a few tight ends in that game last night. Is it Talu from Alabama? Latu also yeah. looks he looks like an absolute. Uh, oh, you're right, Latu uh, looks like an absolute monster as well. But Bowers, I, I think what I'm most impressed about is the way. He's a physical dude at the line of scrimmage in that conference, which is saying something because I don't I don't care for SEC football. Like that game last night, it's like they play NFL football for three quarters and then start playing college football for the last quarter. I hate how buttoned down and conservative and I, I don't think their quarterback play is very impressive, like all of those things. But the one thing I'll say about Bowers is not only is he a great receiver, but like he's physical at the point of attack against 
I'm not sure how many guys off of Washington's defense. The two corners, Gordon and McDuffie, the, the, I think that's about all that would start on, on either of those defenses last night. And I'm not sure that both of those dudes would start, given the quality that was there. But like everybody else, I, I'm not sure if any of the linebackers on, on Washington's starting lineup, Carson Bruner's pretty good. Like the, the way that those guys hit was unbelievable. It's a different it, it, it it's like watching a different sport. Yeah. Like yeah, I it is. I, I felt last year, you know, for reasons that were kind of not football related, like a lot of the covid stuff and the season being shortened and Pac-12 teams, you know, even, even ones with winning records bound out of bowl games because of because of outbreaks and that kind of thing. Like last year's national championship game legitimately felt like it was being played on a different planet. Like mm-hmm. it was so like the Pac-12 and the West Coast was so far removed from having anything to do with that, other than of course, you know Najee Harris and Bryce Young on the on the sidelines at that point, and you know the the five star recruits that those teams had pulled from the West Coast. Um, and I don't know that it felt any different this year. Like it just watching that game, it, it it was the the violence and the speed and the way they hit. And yeah, I mean, I had the same thought about like how many of Washington's players would have even been in this game, seen the field. Yeah. And you look, I mean, you know, Keely Ringo returns the, the, the game clinching pick six. He was a 2020 signee. He's technically still a freshman, you know, just another five star at Georgia who that they can, they can roll out there and, and, you know, make a huge play as a freshman in a national championship game. And, um, you know, that guy would be the centerpiece of any defense in, in the Pac-12. And, and they couldn't keep him home. And, you know, Brock Bauer is another, another example. And I, I pointed those two guys out in a tweet just saying, like, the last two touchdowns of this year's national championship game and the deciding two scores were a guy from California and a guy from Arizona who, you know, only went to high school in Arizona, actually grew up in, in Tacoma, uh, Keely Ringo did. Um and yeah, a couple of people point out like, well, like, oh, like you think Georgia needed those guys to win a national title? Of course, Alabama or Georgia could win the national championship every year with only guys from their own geographic footprint. Everybody knows that. It's about what the Pac-12 doesn't have and what the Pac-12 isn't keeping home. And like, you know, if if the Pac-12, if if USC and Oregon and Washington and ASU, Cal, UCLA, Stanford, whatever, signed every single five star and four star recruit in the Pacific time zone every year, would they be on the same stage as Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Ohio state? Probably not still, but they'd have a chance, you know, and, and, and maybe they would win like a bowl game instead of going zero and five. It's definitely an important first step. I would say that, that the, I mean, there's clearly been changes that have happened over the past 20 years with, with schools. It's not just, Notre Dame and Michigan and a couple other schools that have national recruiting footprints like you've seen I don't know how much of a national footprint all the SEC schools had uh Florida State did to some extent and Miami did like back in the back in the 90s you certainly see more schools now that have a national pull especially from from the south but for for the west coast it's not just losing those players the conference right now does not have the the skill at quarterback and and the skill positions that it used to. That's what the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 was known for, in my opinion. And that was the thing that sort of, if it was an equalizer or what it was, like the reason that I like West Coast football more than I've ever liked the the Big 12 or before when it was the Big 8 or even the Big 10 and certainly the SEC was that it was a different style of football with better offense. It was, you had you had more better quarterbacks. You had passing games. And that didn't always translate or didn't often translate in the season, but it, it created levels where you would have, a, a, you would have nationally prominent programs that, that, that earned that sort of attention and stature in large part because of the quarterback play. And for me, that's, that's the thing that the the Pacific Conference, the Pac-12, needs to get back to. I think Lincoln Riley being at USC will help in some ways in that regard. Hopefully, Sam Heward is eventually someone that that provides that sort of presence. But the the key toward the Pac-12 becoming more competitive nationally 
is 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 really, I think it's through the quarterbacks, and and that's it is it, until that that's the quickest path for it to happen because you're not all of a sudden going to start keeping all of these NFL ready DBs. You're not you're not going to keep you're not keep Ringo from going to Georgia, and you're not going to keep Brock Bowers from going to Georgia. I agree because that's all the Pac-12 had because yeah. like the re- the rep and I. I wish I could I could remember where I where I read it originally to give proper credit, but somebody I, I think it was in a story on the Athletic. Some somebody some talent evaluator plug, said plug 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 West, plug plug. Yeah, who works there? Um, that the West the West Coast has no mass and no ass. That if you if you want really good offensive linemen and big you know physical defensive tackles, you, you're not recruiting those guys on the West Coast. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference physically when you watch the SEC play. So the Pac-12 is Pac, you know, Pac-12, then Pac-10 has kind of been able to make up for that until this, you know, last decade or so through, yeah, having really good quarterbacks, NFL-ready quarterbacks, um, skill players, great receivers, exciting offenses, pass-first offenses when that wasn't necessarily what everybody across the country was doing. And so when you start to see those guys leave. And you start, you know, Emeka Egbuka goes to Ohio State and Bryce Young goes to Alabama and DG Uyunga Lale, even though I know he didn't have, you know, didn't have a very good season, goes to Clemson, was a big recruit. Everybody wanted him. Um, it's going to be really hard to catch up. So I, it, it's hard, it's just hard to watch the playoff and, and not think like, when's the next time a Pac-12 team is going to be here? And when's the next time a Pac-12 team, you're, you're going to feel like a Pac-12 team has a chance to win one of these games. Um, as somebody who's, you know, been watching the league since it was the, the Pac-10 and, and before the BCS and everything are, how into the playoff are you? Like, do you see it as a failure when the league doesn't send a team to the playoff? Is it, is it, do you, you know, is it, is it a big deal to you or are you, are you kind of still of the old school mind that, college football's never been about the you know the one national champion um can i answer both because it does i i do have a level of regional pride and it does it does bum me out when there is no hint or even a candidate from the west coast to be in that four-team playoff it doesn't mean i don't enjoy college football like it doesn't mean that I that I would say like this is sort of an existential crisis and it prevents me from liking football in September. Like I I I still I still enjoy it. Um, I think that people get a little too caught up in sort of the the idea that it should be equitable, like that it should be that this is in somehow that this is that when people say that the Pac-12 is destined to become irrelevant. Like, I'm like, okay, that's dumb. Like, they're, they're in this window, in this moment in time, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that there was a tennis executive in charge of this conference for however many years, the, 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 the Pac-12 has fallen off. Like, that's, it's, I don't think it means that, that that was inevitable. I think it's the result of some stupid decisions. Um, also, we need to be less concerned with academics and the Sears championship, just my little two cents. But the the idea that oh it's never going to be like that again I'm like okay yeah that's that's not true either because things do go in cycles and things will eventually change and and there are a lot of incredible attributes on the west coast like there's the, those those schools Stanford's not going to stop being a good school to go to and I don't think that they're going to never achieve what they had when Andrew Luck was there um but that that question of the the playoff itself my issue with the playoff is that I think that the timing of it does a disservice to the games. I think that the fact that they play them on New Year's Eve and then after, I mean, January 10th, I, I don't think that that serves it well for how the sport is laid out. And I think it's because the primary customer of college football is no longer the college football fan. It is the network. It is ESPN more specifically. And the reason that the, the college football playoff is played when it is and the championship game is played is when it is, is that ESPN wanted additional destination programming events. It, they, they didn't want to take away the New Year's Bowl games because they wanted to sell advertising for those too. They wanted to create additional premium advertising spots. So I, I don't know if you saw the, the, the story, but the ratings for the New Year's Eve games were, were down. 
down from where they were last year, which isn't hugely surprising. It's the second year of a pandemic and people were traveling this year. Like there's also, but I think it does reflect the goal of having those games is not about getting as many people as possible to watch. The goal is about putting them in a spot where ESPN will spend as much money as possible for them. And that's, that's what they've done. So I don't think that the college football playoff as it's laid out is beneficial for college football fans or for the product itself. I think it's most beneficial for it as a television entity. Do you know whose fault it is that these players are leaving the West coast? Is it Chris Peterson's? It's yours. Why? It's yours. It's yours and people like you. Because I'm not passionate enough about it. That's the one that I love is when people blame the lack of passion on the West Coast. You guys just well, don't care. As here's much. what here's what CJ Stroud, Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud, who left California to play for Ohio State. Here's what here's what he said. Did you see this? No. He said you go to USC and UCLA games, and quite honestly, it's just kind of boring without all the people. They kind of just are there on vacation. You go to the other schools out of state, and their fans are kind of like fanatics. And whether you might think it's ridiculous, there are absolutely administrators in the Pac-12 who can't say this out loud, can't say it publicly, but very much believe that that right there is a primary reason why there's such a big gap between their league and, and the rest of the Power Five. Two things to that. You can cut and paste that statement and rewind it 30 years, and it is still as true then as it is now. Like that is – ever since I've been alive – people have talked about the relative indifference that that LA crowds have. And I think that goes beyond the sport of college football. The second part of that is, how do you explain what Carroll did at USC then? It's not like before Pete Carroll got there that he inherited some sort of humming promotion that was there. I mean, they had the coach, who was the coach they replaced? Was Larry Smith? No, it was John Robinson. No, it was Paul Hackett. Like, those were the three guys in front of him. Like, that was a terrible, that program had zero interest. Like, even when Rodney Pete was there and they were playing Notre Dame in a number one versus number two game, like, that was a blip in what was, so you can't make that, I get what CJ is saying, and I don't specifically disagree with him, but that, that doesn't take into account how history has worked, because that was true, and then USC went on a run unlike anything we had seen. Right prior to prior to Nick Saban at Alabama is is Pete Carroll's nine years at USC sort of the most sustained high that we've seen. I think you can make a pretty strong case that those nine years where they won seven straight conference championships is so. I I get what he's saying and I understand why people want to write that as some sort of epitaph for for the conference. And then what I would say to those college administrators who won't say that out loud within the conference are like it's just that they don't care as much, like. Okay, then go work somewhere it matters. If if that's the way you feel, if that's because that is prime butt covering of what do you expect me to do? People don't just like it as much out here. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going to sit here and listen to that garbage. If that's the way you feel, go go resign and go be an assistant AD at one of these big schools where everybody cares. If that's really how you feel because you're terrible at your job. Like if that's if that's the conclusion that you've come to and we'll say that publicly to people who write about the conference, like get the hell out. Like I, I, I have I have zero patience. Well, you know, I'm just as great a writer as F. Scott Fitzgerald. The problem is people don't read anymore. Shut <laughs> up. That is so dumb. Like talk about like the problem is the audience. No, I, I said that to you in confidence. <laughs> oh, jeez. There, that 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 sort of thing will fire me up so much where it's just like well you got to understand because then I, I i just i feel compelled to like okay why are you working in the minor leagues then what's wrong with you like go go play in the big leagues buddy like if that's if you're in some sort of backwater you didn't see me continuing to cover the hydroplanes and saying well the real problem here is that boat race no i went and got a better job so shut the hell up do you miss the hydroplanes? No, God, no. There is nothing. Like, Seattle is a world-class city. Like, all of these people that talk about what a big metropolitan, and then every August it runs in there. It's time for boat racing! Yeehaw! <laughs> Rednecks on the water! I, I hate the hydroplanes. I can't stand the hydroplanes. I think it is the single dumbest activity that I have ever seen people pour that much money into. There's, it's not a sport because they don't pass each other. There's no, there's no uncertainty about it. And when they had, like, there was one team that had, like, 
as twice as much money as all the other teams put together as the Miss Budweiser, and then they'd be like, oh, guess what? The Miss Bud won again. It's like, oh, really? Oh, the only place with full-time employees? Like, why, why, what is this? Were you ever named uh, Hydroplane Writer of the Year? Yeah, two years in a row. Which wow. Condo- you know what? Condota's never won that. <laughs> so Bob Condota. Bob Condota, honestly, oh, honest to God, Bob Bob, who writes at the Seattle Times before that was at the Tacoma News Tribune. I believe that Bob does the work of three people. Like, if you just, like, he equals three, like, not even just average, but, like, good sports reporter output. It's, like, Bobby, Bob, Bob is 3X. It's not he, believable that it's just him. Yeah, it, it it's just ri- isn't. It's ridiculous. And, and Bob, unlike me, actually likes the hydroplanes. Like, there were years Bob would volunteer for hydroplane coverage. Like me, I covered the hydroplanes because that was the best opportunity that I had to write stuff that would be noticed by editors when I was covering high school sports. Bob wanted to cover hydroplanes. Bob liked the hydroplanes. Bob has never been named hydroplane writer of the year. What an oversight. <laughs> it's, no, I just it just shows that maybe Bob doesn't have big league stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell him you said that. By the way, as as great of a sports writer as bob is he honestly might be even better at trivia yeah he might he might be an eve i have never met a better trivia player in my life it is it is unbelievable the capacity his brain has to retain information i'm i would be interested to see bob versus curtis rogers from 710 espn seattle who produces jake and stacy's show kurt curtis is freaky too uh bob would have the advantage because bob's older and Bob's Bob's memory is, I think, largely firsthand. Like, I, I, I think it's mostly stuff that he heard in real time or saw in real time and now retains. Whereas Curtis, Curtis, I'm not sure if Curtis can keep up with him on the history, but if he can, it's because he's consumed the information rather than lived it. Like, Bob's, yeah, Bob's, Bob's freak. I was going to ask, did you see... I, I, w- I don't know if you can even call it a report. Murmurs, rumblings speculation uh throwing stuff against the wall i don't know but there there have been human beings on the internet uh who have bandied pete carroll's name for the ucla job should something happen with chip (laughs) kelly there are you serious i i'm i'm serious to the extent that if you google pete carroll ucla you'll get a series of headlines talking about how ridiculous the idea is i don't know that i can find the nexus of those ideas there might be more uh, there might be more stories uh, saying that it's it's insane and will never happen than there were uh, people actually uh, proposing it. But there is zero. I I can't imagine. I cannot imagine Pete Carroll working in, in college again. No. Like that would that would and and if he was going to work in college, I do think UCLA may, might be the last job he would take. Like I think it would be more likely that he would replace Todd Graham at, at Hawaii. <laughs> what a hire that would be! Yeah, well, and yeah, it would it would definitely be interesting. Like I I I think I love Hawaii's program. Like I I do, and I don't know I don't know how good that program can be because of some of the the different limitations and travel, and that you do have to recruit the islands, but you're always going to lose some of your best players um, fr- from that. But yeah, that that would be that would be something else. We have it's been a long time since we've had a really weird hire at like a small outpost. Like when Jerry Glanville went to Portland State, like something like that. <laughs> like right. where you just get where you get like a really you're like, whoa, what's gonna happen here? Like someone whose resume is vastly different than the spot that they're at. And you're like, I, I really don't know how this is gonna go, but it's certainly gonna be interesting. Um, yeah, that would be no. I UCLA I'm surprised Kelly has not been better there. Um, and I think we've talked about it before. It, it, it probably has to do with him just being uninterested in recruiting. I, 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 was, Seems I, was, that way. I was shocked that he was not better. Um, and, and it just seems like he's not the same guy. And when you're getting – at one point, I think he was getting checks from – I think he was getting checks from two different teams not to coach in one year. Like that's – I, I could I could see where somebody's losing a little bit of the motivation. And UCLA is a harder job than people think because the the money's not great there and the resources aren't as good as they are at other other schools. They really the the 
the budget at UCLA is surprising, and the gap between what their basketball program can do and what their football program can do is 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 real. There's a significant gap there now. Um, but Pete, I mean, Pete's still loved in LA because of his time at USC. He's not going to go to UCLA. And, and the well, there were certain weird things that happened. There was, I don't know if he still covers, does Scott Wolf still cover USC for like, it was sort of like daily news. He's got so, his own thing, I think. Yeah. So Scott Wolf, when Pete, Pete he covered uh, USC when Pete left and there will be weird things that come out from LA about Pete that will make no sense. And I can't for the life of me figure out, but Scott Wolf reported after Pete's first year because they fired Jeremy Bates as the offensive coordinator. And then I saw something that Scott Wolf reported where he's like, I heard that actually Paul Allen hired Pete Carroll so he could get Jeremy Bates. I remember like, I don't that. know if that's true. I remember true. that. And I read it and I was like, that's really the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. Like, if you wanted Jeremy Bates, why wouldn't you hire Jeremy Bates? Like, do you... That 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 makes the idea that you would hire Pete Carroll to get Jeremy Bates as offensive coordinator is one of the most. And I, I said something about that. And Scott's re- reaction was, I saw I didn't believe it when I heard it either. And I was like, well, then why did you print it? Like, why if, if you don't think it's true, like it doesn't make any sense at all that the, the richest owner in the NFL decided he really wanted this guy who's never been an offensive coordinator in the NFL before to be his offensive coordinator. And he was so desirous of having him that he hired his, but like, why wouldn't you just hire him? Like, I don't think there was anything like Pete was like, no, 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 Jeremy Bates. I'm not going anywhere without Pete as my head coach. It was just, it was the most asinine thing in the entire world. Not to mention the fact that Pete was the one who decided to fire Jeremy Bates. It had nothing to do with Paul Allen at all. Does, uh, does Jim Mora rise to the level of former high profile head coach now at a, at a, bizarre outpost taking the Yukon job Yukon job <laughs> he just always wanted to be a husky man <laughs> yeah there you go you gotta really want a coach to take that job man yes you do and that's because that's one of those schools that's gone through the whole flirted and moved up and then moved back down right like what wrecked Idaho because they did the whole they did the same thing right they're, they, they they're, moved. they're still FBS oh are they <laughs> aren't they do I have that right if if they are they should go that's a bad job that's a terrible job. Um, I that's they're know, in, they're be, independent. Yeah, I I'll be interested to see how that turns out because I can't imagine that being good. Not only that, but he's, I mean, he, the Northeast is a different, a whole different mentality. Although maybe 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 his level of intensity will resonate there, in, in a way that it did not, where he kind of just came off as a psycho at UCLA and before that at Seattle. That's all we've got for you, folks. Until uh, the next player hops in the transfer portal, maybe we'll we'll be moved to to put together another uh, off season update. There is another signing day coming up. Forget oh, about forget yeah, we got to do February that. Period. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, so get in. Danny's going to get in the film room. He's going to cut some tape. Um, Let you know about all the five stars I see, the four stars. What we got to do, Kalen DeBoer, to make up the lost ground to reclaim this, put a fence around the state. Isn't that what? Isn't that what, what new coaches talk about? He talked about putting a fence around the state. Yes, we'll discuss what material that fence will be will be built from. Chain link, baby. <laughs> Take care everybody.